Welcome to the Everlast Podcast. We are a young adult ministry based in Colorado Springs, Colorado. For more information, please head to our church's website at cwccs.org. Now, sit back and enjoy this week's message. Tonight's phrase that Jesus never said, God will never give you more than you can handle. Again, it's, it's a very common phrase that every single one of us has, has said ourselves, we've thought it, or, or we've heard someone else say it. Now, most people have had that feeling. Most people have had that feeling at some point in their life. And if you haven't yet, there will be a time when you do. What is that? When you feel like God is doing a number on you. You either feel it because it can only be explained by God, or you feel it because God could have stopped it, and he didn't. Nothing reminds me better than this, than Jenga. Some people, play, some people say Jenga or Jenga. I'm on the Jenga team. Who's on the Jenga team? Nobody. I was kidding. I was totally kidding. Who's on the Jenga team? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, I, I was utterly alone in that. Wow, okay. Whatever. Fine. Jesus loves me. I can't tell you how many times my Jenga tower was stacked so perfectly that, that every turn when it came to me, I just ease a block out of its position to then stack that bad boy so perfectly that, you know, I had the game in the bag before we even took it out of the box or bag. That was until I played Death Jenga. Death Jenga. You see, Death Jenga had more repercussions than just the little, you know, block tower falling and me and my team losing. No, 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 no. See, that's just regular old Jenga. I'm t- I'm, I'm, what I'm talking about here tonight is Death Jenga. The rules are simple in Death Jenga. <laughs> Some people are like, what? If the tower falls on you and your teammate, you don't just lose the game, you lose that life. No, I'm kidding. No. Uh, but really, in Death, Jeng- in Death Jenga, when you lose, what you do get is a bareback, open-handed slap on the small of your back. It was a nice evening, a really nice evening. I was with a big group of coworkers and friends, and we just finished having dinner, you know, at someone's house, and when, when games followed. Jenga was being played uh, uh, when one of my friends decided to raise the stakes. He then shared this idea. He said, you know what? If a team loses, the winning team should be able to get to do something to the losing team. Then one of the guys came up with one of the simplest and stupidest ideas of the bareback slap. On the, on the sm- There's a big difference between the top of your back and then this little guy right here. Oh, hey-oh. Notice, by the way, I haven't mention any ladies in the story. There's a big difference. Dudes, dumb. Ladies, not dumb, right? So, so after hearing these new stakes in the game, guess what? You know, the wise and reasonable guy that I am everlast, I volunteered as tribute for the first game. Long story short, it was down to the wire. The Jenga tower looked like the leaning tower of Pisa, any slight movement could bring utter devastation to the game. Honestly, every turn I was confident. It was me and my teammate against two guys, two of our friends. Like every turn, I was confident though, y'all. I really was. Every turn, 
Y'all know what I'm talking about. I was like, oh, I got this. You know, everybody else's fingers are, are, are shaking. My, mine's just smooth, completely smooth. Just, yes. Not me. I, I wasn't shaking. I was smooth. And then it happened. It happened. It happened. That's not actually me, though. I slowly pulled the block out, and just like the movies, all was in slow motion. I look over at my teammate. His eyes were filled with just complete sadness. I look over at my opponents, and they're already like in this half squat ready for an air high five. They're already there. I yield, and then bam, the Jenga tower fell Blocks all over the table, all over the floor. What followed this loss was, well, just look and see. That's your boy. That's me. That's what followed. Yep. Here's, what's funny is he didn't actually get the small ear back. <laughs> they were like, take it off the screen. Uh, here's the honest truth. Here's the honest, the honest truth. The guy who slapped my back said, said it hurt his hand. So I actually won, if you think about it. <laughs> hurt his hand. The truth is, though, the truth is, when that Jenga tower started its initial descent, it was only moments before that. Like, think about it. We thought, I thought, we thought we had it in the back. Like, we thought we had it good to go. Everything was awesome. Just the way we wanted it. We were in control. But in a moment's notice... Everything wasn't awesome. <laughs> we weren't in control. And the idea of how we thought the game was going to go completely flipped on its head, right? Almost immediately right after feeling the harsh and bitter sting of that bareback slap, I thought the good old three-letter question that we've all asked in some form or fashion in our life, why? Why? God, you could have stopped the blocks from falling, man. Like, you know, so I could have slapped somebody. You know, like that, that I, I was just, I was so there. But isn't it funny though, Everlast? It's seriously so funny. Such a petty analogy, but man, it really got me thinking that this is the almost, like it's almost identical to how we respond to hardship. Why God? You could have stopped this. If we truly believe that God will never give us more than we can handle, what happens when hardship, what happens when hardship flips on, your head, on its head? Flips your life on its head. Sorry. Truth is, Jesus said the exact opposite of God will never give you more than you can handle. In John chapter 16, Jesus tells us, you can turn there if you'd like. John chapter 16, Jesus tells his disciples the world would hate them, would persecute them, and even, listen, kill them for proclaiming the gospel. He then tells them he is going back to heaven to be with the Father, and it's better that he leaves so that the Holy Spirit can come live inside of their hearts. John 16, verse 33. It's, gonna, it's on the screen. You can follow along your Bibles, though. Jesus goes on to say this. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I 
have overcome the world. So disciples of Jesus will have many trials and sorrows, but we can have peace about that because of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you ask me, that's a far cry from God will never give you more than you can handle. Where, where did this phrase come from, anyway? Have y'all thought, like, where, where did this phrase we're talking about, where did it come from? Where did it come from? I believe that it's almost certainly based out of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 12 through 13, which says, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fail. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. The context, y'all, and this is key. Context is always key. Say context is key. That's right. The believers in Corinth, all right, were uh, influenced um, by other religions in their culture. And they were giving into temptations as if they had no power to withstand them. Paul reminded them uh, that as followers of Jesus, they had the Holy Spirit of God living within them, and he's the same spirit that brought Jesus back to life. So the one that lived within them was greater than the one tempting them. Wow. What Paul is not saying here is that believers would have an easy life with nothing ever going wrong. Instead, Paul writes about the temptations to sin. Y'all, uh, Tina last week preached, uh, my wife Tina, she preached on temptation and sin uh, last week and did such an awesome job at helping us understand the difference. So check this out. Temptation, Everlast, is not from God. But he does give us the power to overcome it through the Holy Spirit. So tonight, the real question becomes this, all right? On whose power will you rely when trials, sorrow, and hardships inevitably visit you in this life on earth? Your own power or God's? Check it out, though. Here's what we typically do. Like, here's what I typically do. I would say all of our hands would be raised in this. Check this out. Here's what we typically do. We hold an expectation over, over our lives. We hold this expectation. Like pretty tight we hold it, might I add. What's that expectation? Well, that everything should be a bowl of cherries. That everything should be 75 degree weather all the time. Right? We have this picture that when we grow up, we'll have the best career and success with all the money that we need to do whatever we want with. We'll meet the perfect person. Uh, we'll get married and then have the perfect amount of kids with no complications, by the way. And our kids will be just sweet little angels. Not to mention that our parenting skills will be utterly superb, right? And then our parents, like our parents, will live to 99, and they'll get to be grandparents and even great-grandparents. And then with absolutely no illness or anything, they'll die sweetly and just fade away peacefully in their sleep. Then the same thing will happen to us, right? Because... Of course, like, we won't have problems, and we're, we're all going to live to 99, and, and, and we're going to die peacefully in our sleep as well. This will all happen under a pain-free, comfortable, and happy life. <sighs> right? 
That's the narrative of our life that we tend to write. We really do. I do. Again, Jesus said the complete opposite of this expectation or narrative that we have written about our lives on earth. Now, Jesus, check this out. Everlast. Jesus often, he, he, he did, he often taught in parables. He taught, uh, you know, um, it, it was, yeah, these are these illustrative stories, you know, um, to, to help explain things in like pretty extent detail. But what I love about this moment in John uh, 16, what we just read, what I love about this is Jesus was straight up. Like, he, he was real simple. He ripped the Band-Aid off, per se, right? He said, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. He was straight up. Here's what Jesus is saying. We shouldn't suspect hardship, but expect hardship. We shouldn't suspect hardship, but expect it. You know, my wife, Tina, and I, we do premarital counseling here at this church. We also do marital counseling. And uh, a phrase that we use often within marriage is this. Improper expectation brings frustration. Improper expectation brings only frustration. If you're going about life not expecting any hardship, truth is, y'all, you're in, a, <laughs> you're in for a big, massive pile of frustration. Again, I absolutely love how Jesus just shoots it straight. But y'all, the point of, of Jesus shooting it straight isn't ultimately to get us to have proper expectations as opposed to improper, but to have proper expectations and, guess what? Hope. Hope. See, when I say that four-letter word, a lot of us, we hear it, and we're like, oh, that's, yeah, cool. Yeah. And it's my prayer tonight that you wouldn't just, that what, what, what we have in here would permeate into our hearts. When I say here, our brains, it would, it would travel from our brains to our hearts. When reading the Bible, everlasting, it's pretty easy to see that it is not all blissful about life in this world. You see, the Bible gets unfairly criticized for encouraging us to just, you know, sit there and, and get hit with like this, like pacifism, uh, telling people to do nothing to improve things. Of course, that's so false. Y'all, that's like, that's a bunch of hogwash. That's, that's false. History has shown that those who have the hope of heaven are far more likely than their agnostic neighbor to willingly make the personal sacrifices necessary to seriously address the horrors and the hardships and the hopelessness of this world. The Bible clearly does not gloss over hardships. It, God's word does not gloss over hardships at all at all. Reading the whole Bible through, which by the way, I so encourage you to do. There's so many great Bible reading plans out there. We can help you with that. Find us afterwards. Reading the whole Bible through should honestly cause us to squirm quite a bit. There's many hardships that are addressed. So it's pretty frank and apparent about what we can expect during this journey on earth. I love what Ecclesiastes 11.8 says. It says this, So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. When Jesus walked the earth, <laughs> Hollywood, I'm, just so, I'm, so, I'm so freaking sick of Hollywood. I really am. I'm fed up with how culture is depicting my Savior. Jesus was not this bouncy, like, positive thoughts thinker. 
you know, that the world tends to make. Like, they, don't get me wrong, though. Our Savior was inviting. He was warm. He was joy-filled and intentional. But we often forget what Isaiah 53 says. It says that he, Jesus, was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like we just read a few moments ago, y'all, Jesus promised his followers, in this world you will have tribulation, you will have trouble. So, okay, let me just be Captain Obvious real quick. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that life is hard. Life is hard. Not always, but at times life is hard. Peter said in 1 Peter 4.12, it's on the screen, check it out. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Paul wrote in Romans 8.20, for the creation was subjected to futility. Wow, wow. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Y'all, the days of darkness will be many. It is what we must expect living in a creation subjected to what we just read, futility. What does futility mean? The original Greek word in this moment is uh, matayotes, which means devoid of truth, perverseness, and depravity. And you know what? You know what I would say? That's hopeful. That's hopeful. What? How is, how is that hopeful, Kev? Well, let's keep reading. Going back to Romans 8.20. You can mark it there in your Bible. It's going to be on the screen. We see that creation was subjected to futility, right? In hope. Then verse 21, it's hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. If you keep reading, uh, we see that there's this deep groaning as we wait for the completion of our redemption. Stay with me, this pretty heady, lofty stuff. Stay with me. Romans 8, 22 through 25. It's on the screen. Follow along with me. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. All right, <clears throat> so what is all this saying? What, what is all this stuff I'm reading? What is all this saying? Basically, as believers in Christ... If you've placed your faith in him, following him, we have hope-infused groaning. Hope-infused groaning. What does this mean? Well, it means that as Christ followers, we are full of anticipation for what's coming. You know what that is? Heaven. Heaven. This is where we will see our Savior and be with him forever. Y'all, heaven is where there is no more sin struggles. Can you think about that with me for just a few more seconds? Y'all, I really have done and seen, tasted some nasty things. And I think about just this, this sin-soaked culture that we're in. Heaven, no more of that. No more sin it's honestly pretty hard for me to compute. It's hard for me to calculate that. 
I bet it is for you too, right? <laughs> Heaven, there's no more sin struggles, no more temptation to those sin struggles, no more disease, no more death, no more hardship of any kind. Can someone say hallelujah? hallelujah. Listen, but while we are sojourning on this earth, like Jesus clearly said, you will have trouble. You will. You will. Everlasting. You know what? Listen, if, if I was your enemy, if I was your enemy, you want to know something, like the main thing that I would do against you? The main thing that I would do against you if I was your enemy? I would work my absolute hardest to get you to not think about the hope of heaven. I would, do my, I would work my, tirelessly to get you to not think about the hope of heaven. But while we do have an enemy who works con, uh, consistently, constantly to get us to look down rather than up, we have an advocate, a helper, who helps us to look up rather than down. Are you looking up tonight? Are you looking up? 1 John 4, 4 says, For he, God, who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. It's the Holy Spirit empowered dynamic in our soul that helps us to have a hope-infused groaning. He helps us be like what Paul wrote. Paul wrote this, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Here's something that we can literally hang our hats on when it comes to hardships, okay? Listen, this is what we can hang our hat on when it comes to hardships. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Okay, so what does this coffee cup verse that we all know pretty well tell us? Well, here again, the word shoots us very straight, very straight. Here's what it tells us. We should expect sorrow from the world and we should expect redemption from our Savior. It's a both and. Let me repeat this. Jesus will work even our hardships, even our sorrows for good. Now you may be like, all right, Kev, that's all good and dandy, uh, but it doesn't change the fact that hardships are hard. They suck, honestly, right? Hardships are just hard. Uh, well, to that I say, like, I, seriously, I hear you. I understand. That's not lost on me. Definitely not lost on God. But listen, Everlast, the goal of the Christian isn't to pretend hardships aren't hard and to have some sort of like wishful thinking. No, the goal is to embrace the hardship knowing what it's producing in you. I want to go somewhere else in scripture tonight. Can y'all head here? 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9. Paul said this. It's on the screen, but you can head there. Mark it. Be really cool. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9. Paul said this. We think you, I love this. This is huge. Paul, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. Interesting. Wow. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. Woo. Paul, so, 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 so Paul was 
clearly deep, deep, neck deep in hardship, where he literally expected to die. I don't necessarily have that story. I mean, I've gone through some hardships, but I mean, this seems kind of cream of the crop of hardships. Um, Wow. But something else much deeper, and I would say more important and more profound, was happening. Let's keep reading, all right? Paul then continued to say, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves, and we learned to rely only on God, who raises the dead, and he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. In this testimony, y'all, we see that the next thing on the agenda in Paul's hardship, what was it? It was death. He then said that the result of this was what? To rely not on themselves, but to rely on God. Wow. Wow. What? Okay, so what does this tell us? What does this tell us? This tells us that the bad that hardship is doing outside of you is the very good that hardship is producing in you. The bad that hardship is doing outside of you is the very good that hardship is producing in you. Going back to what we were talking about earlier, y'all, Everlast, it's, it's all about expectation. Did you know this, that God never, like God never promised you a nice comfortable and happy life. Never promised that. He never did. Truth is, all the things we listed earlier, right? Perfect amount of money, successful career, a constant honeymoon marriage, perfect behaved kids, and amazing health to live all the way to 99, right? Etc. All these things, guess what? They'll eventually pass away. Every single one of them. It's true, y'all. Everything in this world is temporary. Everything in this world is temporary. But what God has promised in this temporal life on earth is the best thing we could ever be promised. Himself. Himself. I love how uh, author Paul David Tripp puts it when, he, when it comes to this. He said this. It's a long quote, but it's on the screen. Check it out. Paul said this. Paul Tripp. <laughs> he, God has not unleashed his power in your life only to deliver you, only, uh, only to deliver to you things that quickly pass away and that have no capacity at all to uh, satisfy your heart. This means that often when you are tempted to think that God is loving you less because your life is hard, he's actually loving you more. The hardships that you are facing are the tool of his exposing, forgiving, liberating, and transforming grace. He goes on to say this. These hard moments aren't in your life because God is distant and uncaring, but rather because he loves you so fully. These moments become moments of faith and not doubt. When by grace, you begin to value what God says is truly valuable, himself. Uh, I also wanted to mention some other promises of God. There's going to be kind of a list on the screen. Some other promises that we we can look at when hardship hits us in the mouth, all right? God promised peace when we pray. That's Philippians 4, 6 through 7. His peace is protection. It will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. 
God promised comfort in our trials. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. He has a plan. And one day, we're going to be able to share the comfort we receive. God has promised that his love would never fail. Doesn't run out. 1 Chronicles 16, 34. He is faithful in every way. All right? God promised that if we search for him, we will find him. That's Deuteronomy 4.29. Y'all, he's, God, God never plays hard to get. Uh, there's another promise. He promised to be near. Deuteronomy 4.7. He never withholds himself. God is the opposite of distant. God promised to never leave or forsake us, and then he'll be with us wherever we go. That's Deuteronomy 36, uh, 31.6. Another, here's the last promise. God promised to completely forgive us and forget our sins. Whew. Isaiah 43, 25, that's 1 John 1, 9. So, you know, as I was preparing for this message, y'all, I, I could have like listed many, many, many more promises of God. I really could. Uh, I was just blown away. Even outside of his best promise, which is himself, but, but it dawned on me. I mean, most of you, have heard these promises many times, right? God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Like we've heard that. Some of you, uh, maybe you've heard you've hearing these for the first time, like right now. Either way, here's what hit me as I was prepping. The battle isn't in learning the promises of God. It's in believing the promises of God. You can learn it all day. It doesn't do jack. Do you believe it? When we, let the pro- <laughs> when we let the problems of our hardships overwhelm us, learning promises of God really doesn't do anything unless and until we actually believe in them. Okay, so what are hardships full of? Easy, right? They're full of problems. Full of problems. My favorite singer-songwriter, John Foreman. He's part of the world's greatest band, Switchfoot. Can I get an Amen. Where's Jeremy? Switchfoot's one of the greatest bands. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> John Foreman, he, uh, he's, he put it simply. Check this out. Y'all, y'all, need, y'all, need, to, y'all need to pray. And re- I'm telling you, Switchfoot's the best. No. John Foreman once said it very simply. He said, in the face of hardship, you've got one of two options. You can have faith or you can doubt. Super simple. Here's a question, though. When hardship hits us everlasting, why is it that our knee-jerk reaction is to doubt and question God's goodness and faithfulness? Why? Why is that our knee-jerk response, reaction? Actually, not even a response. It's a reaction. Like, it's a big difference. Why why is it when hardship hits, we, we, we are quick to doubt his faithfulness and his goodness? Let me ask it this way. Why is it that we seek God more when there's problems than when there's plenty? Why? Why? Some of you are like, well, psh, easy, Kev. When there's plenty, there's no problems. Well, but is that true? Is that true? If you're in a season of plenty and you're not seeking God, that's a problem in and of itself. As a matter of fact, I'd say that's, that's a big problem. So the overarching question is this. Are you okay with not seeking God? Everlast, it's simple. When you're seeking God, you're relying on God. What is also simple is that it's as clear as day that we are, (laughs) 
Here's here's the truth. Here's a big Captain Obvious dose of truth for us tonight, for me, for us. We're not all powerful, right? Did did man make that mountain right outside right there, Pikes Peak? Did a bunch of men get together and say, I'm going to make that thing? Clearly, right? Duh, no. Who made it? Yahweh. Jesus. We're not all powerful. We're not all capable. I'm barely capable of Jenga. <laughs> like, we're, not, we're clearly not all capable. We're not all knowing. I don't know everything. Ask my wife that for sure. <laughs> Definitely don't know everything. None of, none, none of us are or will ever be. But listen, as believers, <laughs> as a follower of Christ, we literally have a connection to the God of the universe. Y'all, can you let that blow your minds? Um, his wisdom is unsearchable. His hands are fully capable and able. His power is limitless and his plans are perfect. And every single one of you, every single one of you tonight are valuable to him. You're valuable to God. Check it out. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 29 through 31, he said, what is the price of two sparrows, one copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Did you catch that? Jesus said that the birds, that the birds uh, will fall also. So what does that tell us? This is something that you need to hear tonight. Listen, y'all. Bad things will happen, but they don't happen with God's absence. They don't happen with God's absence. What I can't help remember um, is what happened when I was little. A lot of y'all know my story. Uh, Some of you don't. Uh, I was eight. My mom died of breast cancer. And uh, it was incredibly difficult, confusing, and it was hard, especially in a season, you know, where I was growing up, you know, I was uh, developing. Um, looking back, though, like my testimony is like, I, I cannot deny the closeness of God through that time. I specifically remember growing up and I finally got my license. One of the first places I drove when I got my license was my mom's grave. Um, and uh, I'll tell you whatever, last, <laughs> if you want a fresh dose of perspective, Spend a couple hours in a cemetery, for real. Perspective. Life is a vapor. It's so clear. Like, literally, I, I don't know my great-great-grandpa's name. Like, call it 100 years, no one will know who I am. No one will know who you are. Perspective, it's crazy, right? I drove to my mom's grave, and... Uh, there are multiple times in my life, let alone this moment when I drove there, where God's nearness was wrapped around me tighter than a pickle jar. Like just, <laughs> just silly, but true. If, uh, check this out. If I were to go around the room right now, and everybody had, and I gave everybody an index card, or why? That's, that's where 2024, on your phone, you write on your phone. <laughs> if, I, if I ask you to write on your phone, your note app or whatever, um, check this out. If I were to ask you this question, can you focus in on me? We're almost done. What were the most life-shaping and defining moments with God in your life? 
or just in your life. But I want to lean into Jesus. Amen. What were the most life-shaping and defining moments with God? You know what I bet my bottom dollar everyone would say or type? Y'all wouldn't talk about the good times. You talk about the hard. You'd answer that. You'd answer that with the hard, the bad times. Why is that? Why? Because that's exactly where God's nearness is shown so sweetly. He does not waste your problems. Mm -mm. He doesn't waste them. He uses them and draws you all the more in close. Hardships inevitably bring problems. And problems can lead to doubt if you let it. But if you think about it, problems are just opportunities in disguise. Problems, they're just opportunities in disguise. God, at one point, told Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This next verse, my mom actually memorized. She was 35. I just outlived my mom. I'm 36. My mom was 35. She had this index card. She did have an index card. There was no smartphones then. Uh, this is the last verse she memorized as, as, with, on her, her time on earth. This verse right here. Paul wrote this. He said, 2 Corinthians, the next verse, 12, 10. So, okay, so just reiterating. God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my powers made perfect the weakness. Paul responded with, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, well, then I'm strong. So what, what does this moment from Paul tell us? All right, so it tells us this. Problems are meant, meant to point to God's presence, power, and provision. Problems are literally meant to point to God's presence, power, and provision. <clears throat> you know what's crazy is like talking through this, like my, my heart is a little heavy because I know like right now, man, not all of us, but right now there's hardships like we're currently facing. And, and uh, those hardships are bringing problems. But, you know, I heard it once said that, uh, my problems are either a jail that will imprison me or a school that will shape me. And I, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. Everlast, we don't have a choice on whether or not hardships will come, but we absolutely have a choice on what our hardships will end up being. Again, the battle isn't just, just learning the promises of God. It's believing in the promises of God. When we come to an end of ourselves and cry out to God to save us from our nasty, to, I'm going to slow down on that because I think this is one of the main things I really want to hit tonight. When we came to the end of ourselves and cried out to God to save us, all right, like from our like messed up, wrecked up, nasty, dirty selves, right, our sinning selves, we believed that God would save us from our sins, because of what Christ did for us on the cross, taking on the wrath of God over sin, taking all of our sins, giving us a free gift of salvation, dying, rising up from the grave. We decided to follow him, right, for the rest of our lives. We cried out to God to save us from our sin, amen? Like, we did that, hopefully all of us. <laughs> you see, don't miss this, though. 
It's quite literally the same belief system that in the face of your hardships and problems that you decide to rely and trust and follow God's current presence, power, and provision. What, it's the same belief system. It's the same trust. It's the same crying out. When you're hit with hardships, God promises, God's promises are, y'all, they're more than just a bunch of kitschy, good slogans that, that, you know, that we repeat to ourselves. No, y'all, it's a belief system, meaning how you live out your life, trusting God with your life. In James 1, James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kind. Why, why did James write that? Well, it's simple because the, the, the simple fact that God is, uh, he's with us. Does this mean that we have to be like happy-go-lucky giddy over our trials? Absolutely not. But when you finally come to the terms of, I can't do this on my own. I can't. I can't do this on my own, God. I can't. I cannot do this on my own. I can't. I can't. Y'all, that's exactly, that's exactly where the, the presence and the power and, and the provision of the Holy Spirit is unlocked. Y'all, there's so many biblical examples of this. I'm going to rapid fire. It's not on the screen. Job lost it all, his money, his livestock, his kids, his own health, yet fought against doubt with believing in the presence and the prom uh, power and the provision of God. Joseph, sold into slavery by his own blood, his own brothers, yet fought against doubt with believing in the presence, power, and provision of God. David, who's no stranger uh, to hard times, was anointed king of Israel, right? Uh, uh, he, he was chosen by God, and yet he was tormented by the jealous King Saul, who literally chased him down, chased him down for many years, have you, to murder him. Like that's, like what? I've never had someone hunt me down for years to murder me. That's crazy. Yet David fought against doubt with believing in the presence, power, and provision of God. Moses suffered several instances of hard times. He struggled to believe he could deliver his people from Egypt. And he ran into the wilderness until God appeared to him in a burning bush and called him to do exactly what he had run away from. Moses fought against doubt with believing in the presence, power, and provision of God. Paul, who we clearly talked about tonight, was to the point of death, yet relied not on himself but on God, fighting against doubt with believing in the presence, power, and what? Provision of God. This also makes me think of, you know, the little boy who, who wants to do something on his own but, and, and doesn't get help, let alone want help from his dad. Um, I can't tell you how many times this happened to me, even, even in my teenage years as well in my adult years. Like right now, I, I've stubbornly like just relied on my own understanding, my own knowledge, and my own strength instead of just going to my pop. His name's Chris. I call him pop. There was one time I couldn't understand how to fix something, and I was, I was working on it real hard in my apartment, and, and, and I spent hours trying to get it right, thinking, laboring, sweating, now, my pop, by God's grace, is, y'all, he's a well full of knowledge. Like, you know, like, typical dad, you know, like, that's him, but, like, a few notches up. Like, he just, he's a master electrician. He, he's built homes. He started a company. He, he can do anything in between here and the sun. That's, that's, that's how I feel about him. Uh, love my dad. Love pop. Um, but the entire time I was thinking, all I got to do is call him. But I didn't until I did. 
Now, my dad, check this out. My dad at this moment, I was in my apartment. My dad knew I was working on this thing. And the truth is, he could have swooped in and saved me hours of labor and just fixed it for me. But like the awesome daddy is, he had a plan. He had a purpose. He was, he's raising me, helping me, showing me. That plan was, wasn't to ultimately fix what's hard, but to help me see that it's okay to be weak and to not know what to do. He honestly just wanted me to come to him for his care. My pop not initially rushing in to help me fix it wasn't because he was being cruel. It wasn't because he didn't love me. No, he didn't immediately fix it because he loved me. And he knew that it was the best way for me, uh, well, the best way for him to get to me, to seek him and his love out. Funny thing is, my pop has definitely, as they say, been around the block and absolutely knew. I, he already knew I couldn't do this on my own. He knew I was fighting so hard to independently be self-sufficient. And there's one freaking thing I was trying to fix. Um, he knew that at some point I would give up, admit my weakness, and seek his help. Sure enough, I dialed him up. I said words to him that were vitally important for my heart to hear and say, I said, Pop, I need your help. And the first thing he said back was, check it out. I love you, man. Here's what you need to do. Everlast, there's such a depth to God's heart in our relationship with him that only comes from hardship and pain. Only someone like Jesus can take our pain and turn it to praise. So let me encourage you. Can you... Once, once pain is hidden, yeah, praise in the pain. It was also Paul David Tripp who said this. He said, to remind us of who we are, what we need, and what we've been given, God will let us experience hardship again and again so that we will seek and celebrate the strength that is only ever found in him. Will God give us more than we can handle? Oh, yes, he will. Uh, why? So we'll rely on him. So that in times of overwhelming adversity, we know the importance of embracing the hardship to rely on God's what? Presence, his power, and his provision. Again, Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.